Hey everyone, welcome to the Lighthouse Podcast, where you can hear our latest teachings and conversations. Beginnings are awesome. Beginnings are excited. I love new beginnings. Everything is new. Possibilities are endless. There's adrenaline, there's passion, there's hope, and there's this like eternal optimism at the very beginning where you just feel like nothing could ever go wrong. (laughs) I love the laughter, that's good. Insert laughter. You know, if I'm watching a new movie or a show or someone recommends a book, man, the very beginning has to grip me. Is anybody else like that in the room? Something needs to light a flame in my soul at the very beginning or I'm out. I'm done. My brother recommended a book series to me a little while ago. Um, It's called The Wheel of Time. It's written by an author named uh, Robert Jordan. It'd be similar, similar feel to The Lord of the Rings or uh, if you've read The Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. But it's 14 books and each book is a minimum of about 900 pages. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So, hey, you should read this book. It's like, well, how long is it? Well, (laughs) that's a lot of reading. So I said I would give it a try. Oh, but on the first page, I was hooked. So I read it, I think I read it in just under a year. Yeah, that's, I had a lot of time to read, I guess, at that point in my life. But the beginning matters, doesn't it? The beginning matters. It's not going to be butterflies and rainbows, the rest of the story probably, but the beginning sets the rhythm and the tone of everything that's going to come. The beginning matters. And this is kind of where we are in our Ephesians series. In the book of Ephesians, this is a new beginning, in a sense, for the church of Ephesus. The beginning. This is a new community in the the city of Ephesus. A new beginning. New beginnings matter. Would you open up your Bibles this morning, if you have them, to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. We ended... Ephesians chapter 3 last week, rooted in God's agape love and being strengthened in our inner being. Ephesians chapter 4. Would you pray with me one more time before we jump in? Just invite the Holy Spirit to come. Holy Spirit, would you just continue to flow in this morning? We just take a deep breath of you today. Through all the news reports and chaos and shifting times, financial up and downs, relational up and downs, whatever the noise may be up in our minds, Lord, we just pause. And we just take a deep breath of you. Would you, would you reveal something new to us? Would you illuminate something in our soul? As we come to this text this morning, God, would you just renew our souls by these words on a page. Would you breathe life into our soul today? In Jesus' name, amen. Ephesians chapter four. Ephesians chapter four, starting in verse one. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient Bearing with one another in love, make every effort 
to keep the peace or keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Now, Paul begins chapter four, similarly as he has opened up uh, the previous chapters as a prisoner. So just as a reminder, Paul is a prisoner in a Roman prison at this point as he's writing this letter. But there's a slight difference here at the beginning of chapter four, if you saw it. He is a prisoner for the Lord, or other translations will read, in the Lord. And this is extremely intentional. See, the first three chapters, Paul has been reminding the readers and us of all that, all of who we are in Christ. There's been this, this unveiling plan of what God is doing in the world. There's this reconciling, healing plan taking place in the world. And we are invited into it. There's this, there's this conversation of who we are, who God is, and what that means for us. Now in chapter 4, this kind of the hinge point in the letter. Paul begins to unpack how this looks in the reader's everyday life. Their lifestyle. When Paul is saying he's a prisoner for the Lord or a prisoner in the Lord, it's very intentional in the way that he's saying, I may be a prisoner, but my life is for the Lord. I may be sitting in a prison right now, but that is not who I am. I may be in chains writing this letter to you, but I am and my lifestyle is deeply rooted in God's agape love, strengthening my inner being. Christ strengthening his inner being through the Holy Spirit and being rooted in God's agape love, just like we talked about last week. This is the reality in which Paul is living in, and it is the place in which Paul is writing this letter and going into chapter 4. Even in a Roman prison, because it is who he is, not simply what he does. He may be a prisoner, but he is a follower of Jesus. It's an entire and all-encompassing lifestyle that stems out of who he is. In the following chapters, as we are going to go in the next few weeks, Paul begins to describe the lifestyle of those in the family of God. We're going to get into things like marriage and family and money, sex, politics, everything. An all-encompassing lifestyle. But before he gets there, Paul begins to address the life within the church. Life and, life and relationship in the family of God. In the family of God. First one says, I'll read it again. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. I urge you. The Greek word here is, okay, there's going to be a lot of Greek today. So I'm just going to point your attention to the screen. Because I'm going to make a terrible, uh, I'm going to not say it right. But anyway. A different, a different definition of this Greek word here would be beseech, which means to ask someone urgently or fervently to do something, implore or entreat. This is a passionate and deeply felt request to live the life that corresponds with who you are and what God has done and what God plans to continue to do. Live a life worthy of the calling you have received. One theologian said it like this, and I love this. For it involves the obligation to live in a manner that is in accordance with the name of him, of him whose they are, whom they serve. Live a life worthy of the calling you have received. God's restoring work and plan is taking place in the world through his people, through us, 
So live a life that is soaked in that plan. Live a life soaked in that plan. This is life now. This is the lifestyle now. And let's pause there for a moment. So the people in Ephesus who are discovering right now what it means to follow Jesus, reading this letter, which was most likely smuggled into their community, they're a new church. You know, the, 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 the slate is clean. It's a blank page. They don't have Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 3 to open up to and read together. Or they don't have Matthew chapter 5 and 6 where Jesus is teaching about the way of life as a follower of Jesus. No, in real time, in real life, they are discovering what it means to follow Jesus in their time and in their city. In real time. They have a blank page in front of them. Okay, Paul, what does this look like? How do we do this? We need your help. What do we do next? You know, we may not be a new community, and we may not be a new church, but we have somewhat of a blank page in front of us, don't we? We have our story, we have our history, losses and victories, past, present, but a mighty good future. A mighty good future. What would it look like if we had a blank page? What would it look like if we had a blank page? What does it look like day in, day out, to be the church, a community of people following Jesus on Graham and Ann? Before Paul addresses lifestyle outside of the community, he begins by addressing the lifestyle within the community. Paul writes this in verse 2 and 3 again. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Paul seems to be summing up this living a life filled with the Holy Spirit, following Jesus, into these four virtues. The first virtue that he's, he's, he starts to unpack here is humility, or another word would be lowliness. That's kind of a better, more elaborate um, definition of the word. Now, this is really fascinating right here. So the New Testament was written in Greek. So the Greek word used for humility, and just wait, is it up there yet? Yeah, no, thank you. I'm good. <laughs> but this is the word that was used for the term, especially the term lowliness. Now, bef before this time, before the New Testament, this word right here would not have been used in the Greek language to describe a virtue. The adjective form of this word was used to describe something that was extremely low. It was not a compliment. It was not a virtue. It was something to describe somebody less than you. See, in, in Roman culture, where the church of Ephesus would have been, there was a very hierarchy style of living. There was slave and master. So for them to hear the word, or this word here, as a virtue... And as something that you need to live by would have been extremely counterintuitive and extremely countercultural to them. The readers would have been saying to each other, did he literally just say that word as the first virtue for following Jesus? This would have been completely out of their worldview. As I said, the worldview at the time was ruled very much by a reality in the Roman world of slave and master. You had the high ups in society and you had the down lows in society. The Webster's Dictionary says, says this to describe lowliness. In a low position, 
manner, or degree, not loudly. Another definition actually goes so far as to say unimportant. There's an encouraging place to start. (laughs) To be a follower of Jesus, an apprentice to Jesus, being a part of God's rescue and healing plan in the world through the Holy Spirit, first off, we're unimportant. But not unimportant in the way you may think it is. We see this in Jesus. We read this last week in Luke 22. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. This is just about before he's going to go to the cross. If you're willing, take this cup from me. Yet, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus lived a life where God was the most important. Jesus lived a life where what God was doing was the most important. We see this also in the, in the life of John the Baptist, who was actually a cousin to Jesus. John was actually the one talking about Jesus before he came, basically saying, get ready. There's a moment where some of John's followers and friends are talking about Jesus, and they, say, they have this moment where John, where they're kind of confronting him, and they say this, Rabbi, which is another word for teacher, he who has come across the Jordan speaking about Jesus to be a witness, look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. Basically saying, they're not coming to you anymore, John. They're going to this other guy. And John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice, speaking of Jesus. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase and I must decrease. He's basically saying, you guys don't get it. This isn't about me and my popularity or my brand or my voice or my image. No, he must increase and I must decrease. The whole point was for them to come to Jesus, not to me. As a community of followers of Jesus, when we decrease and the Lord increases, we receive something far greater than anything we could seek or build ourselves. We see this in the book of Acts at the very beginning of the church. Verse 44, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possession to give anyone what they needed. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. Every day they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of the people. And the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. You know, when we make somebody else's needs the most important things, we find ourselves receiving the same unconditional love. Isn't that beautiful? Do you see that? An entire community rooted in God's agape love is see the need of somebody else as the top priority. Someone else is going to do the same for you. And it's this beautiful intermingling of God's agape love. How beautiful is that? What a community. What a world. What would it look like if that's how we lived with each other? You know, where I see your hurt and I is not something to, well, I, I'm too busy. I can't do that. I can't get involved in that. But as some, no, like as your brother or as your sister, this matters. I was actually talking to 
my friend and brother Rupert about this at Newton's the other day. Like, what does it look like when a community is rooted in loving God with everything and loving people with everything? People take care of each other. Hey, I don't have much, but I have some. And you know what the beautiful thing, if we're all living in that actual community together, somebody else is doing the same thing for you. That's so good. That's heaven. That's God's reality touching earth right there. Humility, lowliness. And compared to what God is doing, I am unimportant. The second virtue is gentleness or meekness. There's another Greek word for you. I love diving into the, I know I, I do a lot of word study when I, when I teach, but when we, when we understand the words from the original language, we capture brand new meanings. I love it. Meekness is a more fitting word here. In the NIV, the, the word used is gentleness, but meekness really captures the spirit of it. It's kind of a reality of a controlled spirit, almost in a sense of submissive. In the actual Greek definition, the picture of a controlled or submissive animal is used to describe the word. I love dogs. Jesse and I love dogs. I think that's pretty obvious at this point. We have three. Yeah, that's, that's right. And there are, none of them are small. Eli, uh, one of our German shepherds, um, he listens in such a way I probably could have never trained him to do it that well. You know, when I get up to do anything, that dog is right by my side. Every time. When I walk, he walks. When I lay down, he lays down. All of it. Jesus was completely submissive to everything that the Father was doing. Everything. John 6.38 records Jesus saying this. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of the one who sent me. Philippians 2, 5 through 9, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature, the role of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. There's no competing. There's no better than or less than. We're all in this together. Yeah, but do you know what that person did in the past? Yeah, but do you know what they just did last year? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The new creation has come, and the old is gone. That's an amen. That's an amen. There's no, in that verse, there's no except if they did this, is there? The new has come. The new has come. The old has gone, and the new is here. As a community of followers of Jesus, we all come in as sons and daughters, made new as we submit ourselves to the Father realizing that none of us could do it on our own. And that's good news. We're in this together. The last two virtues kind of go hand in hand. Long-suffering and forbearance, or bearing with one another in love, as it says in the NIV. Who used forbearance and long-suffering this week in their casual conversations? <laughs> Not many of us. Long-suffering is defined in the Greek as of slowness and avenging wrong or retaliating when hurt by another. 
I'll read that again. Of slowness in avenging wrong or retaliating when hurt by another. Who has a strong sense of justice in the room? I'm going to put both hands way up. Come on, there's some of us. No? Okay. I mean, I'm fine. I don't do that. (laughs) Forbearance is the action or the practical outworking of long-suffering. One uh, theologian defined it as this. It involves bearing with one another's weaknesses, not ceasing to love one's neighbor or their faults that may offend or displease you. That's good. It involves bearing with one another's weaknesses, not ceasing to love one's neighbors because of their faults, even when it may offend or displease. Long-suffering and forbearance. Luke 23 says this, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And they divided up his clothes, casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him, let him save himself. If he's the Messiah, the chosen one, let him save himself. Colossians 3.13, bearing with one another, forgiving each other. Whoever has complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you forgive. Whew. That's a heavy one. Just as the Lord forgave you, so also you should forgive. 1 Corinthians 13, love bears all things. We hear this at weddings all the time. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love gives the benefit of the doubt. I know there are real hurts in the room. It's a, that's a heavy one. Bearing with one another in love. I know there are real hurts. And it's not as easy as just, you know, you hear those verses. It's like, okay. I'll just, <laughs> it's not as easy as that. There's grace in the process. It doesn't happen overnight. And I don't think God expects that. I think little movements of obedience and love. Right? That's why we're in this together, making room for one another, being strength for one another when the hurt is hard to forgive, being in it together, getting into the mess together. We don't shy away from it, but we lean into it instead. That's what Jesus did. He saw hurt. He didn't, he didn't run away or he pressed in. He pressed in with. He was the first to sit with the people in the mud, not the last. As a community of followers of Jesus, we live out the grace that has been given to us. We live it out. We make room for our brothers and sisters who are in process, just as we are. Agape love, unconditional love. And then Paul ends with this in in verse 3. Making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. I'll ask again, what if we had a clean slate? What if we asked a question, and I dare us to even ask the question, what does a community of Jesus followers really look like? Humility, gentleness, meekness, forbearance, long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, 
getting involved in each other's lives. Not out of our own strength, but because we are rooted in agape love and our inner being is strengthened by being the dwelling place of King Jesus through the Holy Spirit in us. That's why Paul spent the last three chapters kind of talking about who we are. You know, we've been, remember the story you're a part of. You've been raised to life in Christ. Guess what? This is, the, uh, this is the plan we get to be a part of in God's world of restoring and healing because it's all about being filled and being marked by the presence of God because that's when we can live in humility, gentleness, meekness, and bearing with one another in love because we definitely cannot do it by ourselves. Jesus said this in Matthew 5. This is in the message. Let me tell you why you are here. You are here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. That's awesome. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and you will end up in the garbage. Here, let me actually put it a different way. You are here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you on a hilltop, on the light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives by opening up to others. Get this. You'll prompt people to open up with God. You will prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven, to bring out the God flavors. What a way to word that, to bring out the God flavors, to bring out the God colors, like a prism, to bring out the God colors. Humility, laying ourselves down to see the God flavors and the God colors be the most important thing. Gentleness or meekness, submitting ourselves to what God wants to do in our world and partner with him to bring out his flavors and his colors. Forbearance and long-suffering, journeying in love and patience with one another as God flavors and God colors begin to unfold all around us. We could just be another group of people singing songs about the blood of the Lamb, that from the outside sounds really strange. And passing each other on Sunday mornings. Or we could be a community of people who are marked by the presence of God. Marked by the presence of God. We could be a community marked by humility and gentleness and meekness and bearing with one another in love. So that God is on display. So that God is on display. Jesus came to show a different way. A way that points to life. A way that we've been talking about the last few weeks. Disarms the power of sin in the world. Unconditional agape love disarms the power of sin. It gives it a new power. It's a power shift. A way that is paved in agape love. And belonging. Belonging. You belong here. All people all nations, all backgrounds, all families of origin, Jew and Gentile, outsider, insider, under the name of King Jesus, surrendering to the King of kings and the Lord of lords to see God's, made, God's name made known on Grand Manan as it is in heaven. The church should be a mirror of that into the world. We get to be a mirror of that into the world. 
that's a gift we get to be that. A community marked by the presence of God, living, moving, speaking, healing, restoring, reconciling an entire world around us. We get to partner with God in that. What a life. What a life. We must decrease and he must increase. More of you and less of me. I'll end with this. There's a moment in the Exodus story when Moses, uh, he just led the people out of Egypt, out of slavery. Moses is exhausted. He's frustrated. Their new beginning was exciting, but it's kind of starting to wear off, as most beginnings do a little bit. But Moses has this moment of desperation with God. I've been in this passage all week. Says this. Moses says to the Lord, you have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you're going to send with me. I feel alone. I can't keep doing this by myself. You have said, I know you by name and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your way so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. I'm at the end of myself, God. I've tried doing all this by myself and it's just wearing me down. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me or with your people if you don't go with us? What else, this is it right here, what else will distinguish me and your people from all other people on the face of the earth if you don't go with us? Marked by the presence of God. Then Moses said, or sorry, the Lord said, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Then, the Lord, then Moses said, show me your glory. Show me, I need it. I want us to be filled, pressed down and overflowing with God's closeness and his presence. That's life. That's the best life. Loving God with everything and loving each other with everything. I want that. But there's a desperation in Moses' voice. Did you catch it? What else is going to distinguish what we're doing from everybody else if you're not here? If it's not for your presence, we're just building another thing. God, if your presence isn't here, it's just another group of people doing a thing. God, we can't go any further unless you're continuing to pour out your presence on us. Or this isn't leading anywhere good. But you know what's so awesome? I get to sit, or I'm standing right now, but I get to be in a room with a group of people that laid everything down for a bigger and better story. And I want to take this moment to honor you guys. We get to live in a mighty good future because we live in a story of people laying down what they think is best for what God thinks is best. And we have a building that's almost done up the street. Yeah, it's good. But because we have been marked by God's presence and because what's coming next and what's going to continue to happen and the new moments that are going to come are not going to continue to happen because we're marked by God's presence. But we've got to go after that. Maybe this is a stake in the ground moment for us. I've been feeling that this week. Maybe this is a stake in the ground moment for us. 
Maybe it's kind of a mountaintop moment that we're with God. And we come this far and there's been many victories. Like I said, we may not be a new community and we may not be a new church. But what if, what if there was a new page to turn? What if there was a new chapter? What if there was a new chapter and there's a stake in the ground moment where, man, God, your presence, your presence has gone before us and there have been great victories, but there are more victories that need to come and we need to continue to be filled with your presence or please don't send us from here. What did Pastor Tim say in the fall? If we go up to the new building and we're the same people as we were down here, what was the point? But if we go there as followers of Jesus, longing to see what God's agape love does in a place, beautiful things are going to take place. And I love that I get to do that with you guys. A mighty good future. God's mighty good future. And we get to be a part of it. We get to be a part of it. Would you pray with me today? God, we just, we submit ourselves to this word today. I just feel like you've, you've been just like a, like a dying plant. I feel like you've just been like dumping water on me in this, in this passage this week. What does it look like when we go after your presence with everything we have? God, I just cannot believe I get to be with these people doing this thing. What a life. What a gift. What a gift to our family. Lord, would you just continue to lead us? We just even pause as a, as a community and as a church. And if, you, if you're feeling this pull in your soul, you don't have to pray out loud. But even in the, in the quietness of your own soul, if, this, if what I said at the end, that this being a stake in the ground moment, maybe that's ringing very true with you this morning. And if it is, would you just even, just kind of like what Moses did. He just kind of laid himself at the feet of God, and he said, God, I need you. Show me your glory. Lord, we just, as a community on this island, we just, we say the same thing that Moses did. God, if you don't go before us, who, what are we going to be without your presence? Who are we without your presence? Holy Spirit, we just ask you to just anoint and fall fresh this morning. As we continue to live and explore and discover all the things that you're doing in our community and around us, Lord, may we be filled to the full, overflowing, and pressed down with the Holy Spirit, your presence, God, partnering with you in what your restoring and healing work is doing in our world. What a story we get to be a part of, not because of us, but because of you. We must decrease and you must increase. May you be glorified in all things. God, we love you and we praise you. And there is victory in the mighty name of King Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening and joining us today. If you'd like to know more about the Lighthouse Church, you can find us on Facebook at Lighthouse Graham and Ann or on Instagram at The Lighthouse GM. We'd love to chat with you more. Maybe something jumped out at you or grabbed your attention while you were listening today. We would love to talk with you and discuss some of the deeper questions of life together. God loves you. We love you. And we're in this together.